everybody and welcome to the Daily Diatribe. Uh, today is the 24th of April in the year 2020. Uh, I am your host and tonight we actually have quite a few topics to cover. As always, we got three topics to cover. Uh, the first of those being today, political theory. Uh, before the show, I kind of entertained a meme and I showed this to a few people uh, and eventually if I can figure it out, I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, but it got me thinking about general political theory because we in America... Uh, actually have a very thin spectrum of politics, uh, as opposed to countries across the world, uh, even in Canada, even in Mexico, uh, Brazil and other countries have a much broader political spectrum. Uh, but in America, because of the two-party system, whether for better or for worse, we're kind of confined more to the center. And I know that may be hard for a lot of Americans to believe, but uh, people talk about how Europe is a lot farther left than America is. That's not true on a lot of issues, especially issues like immigration or even abortion. And they have parties that are way farther to the right of our Republican Party, and they have parties that are way farther to the left of even Senator Sanders. So political theory is going to be an interesting topic to discuss. As always, we have the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, always something to discuss on that front, a little bit perhaps to do with Kim Jong-un. We might sprinkle in somewhere. And lastly, we will always finish off until about the 31st or maybe the 2nd with uh, Berlin, 1945. So without further ado, I'd now like to introduce my co-host, uh, Red, operating from, uh, I don't even know, a, a no longer flooded room in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, or maybe it's still flooded. Is, is it still flooded? It, I am happy to say my room is flood-free. Exactly. Um, Outside is a different story, but my room 
It's flood free. But your room floods every year. Yeah. That's just a thing. It's an upper peninsula thing. Actually, like, it hasn't really this year. It's more like last year was a problem, so, you know, count my blessings. Seasonal, the seasonal flooding of Red's room. It's an event celebrated by the upper peninsula. It's a sign that the harvest next year will be plentiful. Hooray! Even though you can't grow anything up there. Can you? Um, I have a couple apple trees, but, um... Now I'm jealous. I want an apple tree. It's it's really good. On a completely different note, farming apples is different because apparently you have to like take parts of another apple tree and like put them on like the the sapling of another tree to get it to grow. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but if you just plant seeds from an apple, the apple tree you get will be really ugly. Uh, and that's why you know the story about Johnny Appleseed going around planting all the things. He was real. Uh, but, you know, but the important thing about his story is, do you know why it was important? Not because they were using no. the apples for all sorts of, you know, pies and things. No, they distilled them into alcohol. <laughs> all the apples were pretty much used to make alcohol because the water was so bad back then that they would only drink a hard apple cider instead of water. So that's your fun fact of the day. Uh, you know, on to the first topic. Political wow, I'm so, I feel so enlightened. Uh, political theory. Uh, I sent you that meme before the show. Uh, it took me a while to get. <laughs> to comprehend it. Now, uh, I showed this to my sister, too, so I'm sure she's listening in contempt from the other room. But uh, basically, I'll, I'll just sum up the meme. I don't think I can get it on the screen, but I'll, I'll sum up the meme. Is mm -hmm. that uh, basically it is a picture of, and it's, it's a meme made by a movement. I guess I'll explain the movement first. The movement that made this meme are called anarcho-primitivists. They are people who are not only anarchists, but people who believe that the Industrial Revolution and its consequences were a disaster for the human race. Uh, people that want to go pre-industrial, people that want to go even before the Luddites, people that didn't even like the Agricultural Revolution. There are these people. And uh, so the meme basically displays several... Uh, not orangutan-like creatures, but supposedly, you know, pre-evolutionary humans uh, next to normal humans. And it apparently the, the protagonist of this meme is a, you know, a large one of these humanoid monkeys. And it says, me, a peaceful creature collecting sticks for my family's nests. And it says, but, you know, my village of uh, traditional loving wives caring for our, uh, for each other and our younglings. And then there there's more animals in the background. And it says, fellow beasts of Eden, uh, referencing, you know, the virgin landscape that Eden, you know, the Garden of Eden, and then off in the mist is the impenetrable mist of prehistory, and then off kind of in the left corner are these little uh, scoundrelly, you know, you know, weaselly looking creatures with uh, spears, and it says insidious homo sapiens who have learned the dark arts of tool making, animal husbandry, lurking in the shadow, preparing to murder and eat my family, and then there's a small, uh, actually a bull, I've actually figured this out, it's a small bull, like a cow sort of thing. And it says, a domesticated harbinger of slavery, industrial civilization, genocide, extinction, and death. And so, I thought this was a pretty weird meme. Uh, I feel like a lot of it is just, like, absurdist comedy. But, um, yeah. See, that's the thing about anarcho-primitivism, though, is how much of it is absurdist comedy and how much of it is serious. Because I, I think sometimes it's hard to tell. Uh when it comes to anarcho-primitivism, 
uh, when it comes to people who hold these views that the Industrial Revolution was bad and that even the Agricultural Revolution was bad, uh, you end up with this kind of hodgepodge of either, I, I guess they're technically ultra-traditional beliefs, so I guess that would make them a far-right ideology, but then you have anarchism sprinkled in there, which is a far-left ideology. So you end up with this sort of weird conundrum that if you function on a typical left-right spectrum, which I don't, but if you did, you'd have the conundrum here of them being centrists. It's like the canceling of, you know... Yeah, it's, it's like... It, it's the cancel of extremes. It's like plus three, minus three, plus three, minus three, plus three, minus three, and it's like when... The, yeah, except that this doesn't make much sense here because, you know, for the left, you could say that, uh, you know, they want, you know, they want a better environment. Uh, they want, you know, to pollution to stop. They want to restore the Earth's natural beauty. Uh, and they want to, you know, get rid of a lot of, you know, harmful industrial production. So really, they're really environmentalists. And then for the right, you can say they want smaller government. They want... I mean, in fact, they want no government. Uh, but, you know, and then for the left again, you can say they don't like firearms. And they don't like firearms because they don't believe in firearms because they believe that firearms are the product of an industrial civilization. Uh, and so what exactly do these people believe? Yes. Yes is the answer. But also simultaneously, no. And this isn't really the, you know... Uh, belittle or diminish the anarcho-primitivist movement i'd be willing to hear from an anarcho-primitivist if if one anarcho-primitivist listens to this show i'll be more than i'll be more than glad to listen and have a conversation with any anarcho-primitivist who listens to the show and i I hope i'd actually love that i'm open to the conversation i want to hear what uh, he or she has to say uh because it's important you know kind of understand ideologies you may not understand or maybe that you kind of don't want to understand or haven't thought about in a while and so i think you know it's a it's a useful thing to talk about uh kind of in that same vein when it comes to political ideologies i think you find uh sort of a diminishing return like in the two in the center of the you know mainstream you have these huge monoliths of democrat republican you know huge monoliths that comprise like at least 80 percent of the population uh then on the farther out you got like you know, 15% of the population that identifies as independents. And then you got five, mm-hmm. that 5% is just scattered up so teeny tiny. Like if you go on any sort of like political discord server, even political uh, discussion forum, you'll find out there are all these little niche ideologies that don't really have that big of a following. They have like 20 people that support the ideology. Uh, Personally, I'm a fan of like anarcho-monarchy. Yeah, there is actually an anarcho-monarchist movement, and there's a left-wing. Anarcho- I know it's completely like there's insane. A le- there's I a left-wing it. one and a right-wing one. They don't like each other. Uh, but <laughs> you know, there are all sorts of you know there are na- national capitalists who are monarchists. There are anarchists who are monarchists. There are libertarians who are monarchists. I'm not kidding. There are libertarian monarchists. Uh, and you know that feels almost counterintuitive. And the you know it's interesting though because if you look at political groupings the largest political grouping in the united states is socially conservative and economically liberal they make up 38 percent of the american population according to the most recent pew research center poll i feel like that makes sense because you know no one is truly you know left wing or right wing i feel like most people have like more of like a mix of views from like you know both sides yeah and, and i think that 
in the media and otherwise that libertarian views, and I know the li actual libertarians who are members of the Libertarian Party will get really ticked off at me for saying this, but libertarians are really overrepresented in every single media conversation. People who are more economically conservative but more socially liberal. They're running around everywhere. Most, um... And it's the uh, least popular position. It's the least popular, according to that same Pew survey. Uh, see, the thing is, my, um... My father identifies as a libertarian, but he um, he votes with the Republican Party because he thinks the modern libertarian party is a joke. That That's actually probably how a lot of people feel. Yeah, I feel like there's more libertarians hiding in the mist. This is true, but the libertarian party is a very extreme form of libertarianism at this point. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. the, I mean, from what you've told me, I'd assume your father is more of a social conservative rather than a social leftist. Yes, he's conservative then in he, most... Then the Libertarian Party would not, you know, be very happy to accept him into their ranks. Hmm. Uh, so yeah. you end up with a lot of people... I mean, people who are socially and economically right-wing definitely should vote Republican because that, that makes sense. And people who are socially and economically left-wing should vote for the Democrats. But you end up with this cohort of people who are, you know, socially conservative and economically liberal. They kind of make up swing voters. It's why you get... Uh, it's why you get these sort of views that are, the you know, basically blue dog Democrats. It's why blue dog Democrats are so popular when they get elected because that 38% of the population, go you know, takes a big sigh of relief and says, okay, finally, I got somebody that I can vote for who I don't feel guilty about socially and who I like economically. And, who I, and Democrats are like, okay, you know, we got our man to win. So you got, end up with this. That's why they end up so popular sometimes. But the party can crack the whip on them and say, you got to vote with the party this much percentage of the time. And then basically that 38% in the middle gets riled up by the Republican party who says, look, they betrayed you. And then they're like, oh, come on. And then they vote him out and they elect a Republican. And so that's just kind of I how that think, works in a red state. I think once we as a society reach true enlightenment, you will only vote with the anti-Nebraska party. Anti-Nebraska party, of course. And so, yeah, this is true. Uh, somebody is commenting in our little chat room. On, he, he reminded me that Gary Johnson is a joke, so of course, and by extension, his party alienated voters. That's not wrong. I remember Gary Johnson going through a portion in a, not a debate, in an interview, where the interviewer asked him, the interviewer was like saying something, and Gary Johnson legitimately just sticks his tongue out and starts talking. And he starts going, and I could go like this over and over again, and people will still vote for me. And I'm like, Okay, I don't get what the point of that he is. Didn't win. No, he didn't win. Uh, and my favorite meme that came out on election night. This is real time, you know, real time memes. Uh, Ooh, was on election night. You, you ever have you ever watched SpongeBob? Yes, I've seen SpongeBob. Okay, good. But you ever seen the SpongeBob episode where uh, he makes Gary go to like race? Oh, yeah, and there's that other snail. And, and, and he goes, like... come on, Gary, it's a race. Have you heard of him? And it's a picture of the results <laughs> in a state, you know, in just any state where Gary Johnson's polling at 3%, you know, as the votes are coming in. And somebody, you know, took that, That's took the so audio good. of that and goes and puts over it. Come on, Gary, it's a race. A race. <laughs> Never heard of one. <laughs> and that, and that was just. so good. And that's just fantastic. I find that kind of thing fantastic. Uh, and I love that. So, 
you kind of end up, as I said, the Libertarian Party is not going to get anywhere at this. The best chance the Libertarian Party had uh, in 2016, and I maintain this, was a guy named by the name of Austin Peterson. Uh, Austin Peterson was a younger guy. Uh, he uh, pretty, you know, I watched him in a debate. He's a good speaker. Uh, I think he's only like 36 or 37, so he would have been able to, he would have had the stamina to go campaign a lot. And I honestly think yeah. he would have done a heck of a lot better than Gary Johnson. Uh, not not even by like a ton, but he would have gotten at least 5% and thus would have gotten federal funding and helped the Libertarian Party become, you know, a serious political party. But naturally, because he was so well-spoken and popular, the Libertarian Party hated him. Uh, so people outside of... the guy with the boot on his head? Yeah, uh, the guy with the boot on his head is a name by the is a guy by the name of Vermin Supreme, uh, who my grandfather I think once called Varmint Supreme, and I liked that better. Uh, yeah. Vermin Supreme actually is losing the Libertarian nomination right now. Oh uh, man! The Libertarian nominee this time around is going to be uh, a guy by the name of Jacob Hornerberger. Uh, Hornerberger, who I project to get exactly twelve votes. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, he'll probably get like 700, 800,000 votes. I don't think he'll do well as Gary Johnson because his name is Hornerberger. And I, it might just be Hornerberger. Conversely, I think he'll do better than Gary Johnson because I think the last name Hornerberger has great merchandisability. I think that you are biased. <laughs> and you know why. Uh, you know why. I do? Yes, you know why I think you're biased on this. Uh, no, yes. I don't. Yeah, it's no, it's just it's just Jacob Hornberger. There's it's not Hornerberger, which is good. But Vermin Supreme is also running. Uh, I'd also like to note that Jacob Hornberger doesn't actually even have a Wikipedia page. Oh, that's sad. He actually, let me correct this. He has a Wikipedia page, but it's only a simple English one. He doesn't have like a normal one. Oh, he only gets simple English. That's actually quite sad. He once ran in the United States Senate election in Virginia in 2002, where no Democrat even bothered to run. And so he ran as an independent and still got third. To another independent. Uh, poor guy. Yep, this is just... This is great. Uh... He received nine votes in the Libertarian New Hampshire primary, putting him in sixth place. But that's going to be the Libertarian nominee, Jacob Hornberger. Then Varmint Supreme is in second, uh, followed by Joe Jorgensen, uh, Ken Armstrong, uncommitted, Adam Kokish. Now, Adam Kokish thought he was just going to just absolutely dominate this primary because he's like a famous talk show host. Uh, but naturally, he's in sixth place. He's actually behind people who showed up and voted for nobody. These people showed up and they said, I don't want to vote for anybody. Those are the people who voted for uncommitted. Who even votes uncommitted? Uh, like 8.3% of libertarians. No, I mean, like, okay, bit of a tangent. But it always irks me when people, like, go out of their way to go to an election and vote, like, like uncommitted. That's just don't. Oh. I would disagree with that. I love people who vote uncommitted because it means they're willing to take the time to go and make their voice heard and say, I don't like any of these options. Attention, I 
don't care. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, they care because they still showed up to vote. They just don't like anybody. I don't like everybody, and I want everybody else to know it. Uh, I have no idea why Jacob Hornberger is actually winning. Uh, and the best part is, is that, did he drop out? Okay, so apparently John McAfee, the guy who's wanted for murder in Honduras, uh, is also running for the Libertarian nomination. Oh, fun. Uh, and he's currently, you know, this is actually interesting. There are so many people running for the Libertarian nomination uh, that it's kind of ridiculous. And one of the people who actually had to drop out, uh, this, is, this is just so terrible, is the Libertarian Party rejects anybody who actually has a chance. There was a New Hampshire state representative who literally didn't, you know, he couldn't win. He couldn't win. He was, he actually won an election. You have an idea how, how often libertarians don't win elections? Most of the time. Exactly. Like all the time. They never win elections. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, they rejected this guy. They rejected a guy who was a former governor. Uh, they rejected Mark Whitney, and I know he did something. He, he did something big. Never mind. I wouldn't have nominated him. He was convicted of four counts of defrauding a bank and sentenced to 27 months in prison. Probably not that guy. Uh, James P. Gray, their former, yeah, their former vice presidential nominee, got a grand total of two votes. Yeah, it's just the Libertarian Party. Gosh darn. Come on, you can do better than that. Yeah, we're disappointed. In all honesty, Austin Peterson was your best hope. John McAfee was your second best hope because he has a lot of money. Uh, you know, sadly, uncommitted. Uh, Austin Peterson actually lost to uncommitted in one of in his home state. Yeah, that's just depressing. Uh, but he did win the state in the convention. I actually remember watching the Libertarian National Convention in 2016. Uh, and I really wanted Austin oh, yeah, Peterson. I wanted Austin Peterson to win because, you know, he's a real candidate. You know, because I was thinking, yeah, he could be a serious candidate. He could, you know, I think he could take the fight right to Trump and Clinton because it would have been interesting to have a juxtaposition of somebody who is really young. Ooh, yeah. Versus those two guys, or a guy and a girl. Sorry, not two guys, uh, but Hillary and Trump. No. Uh, Hillary and Trump, who are a little, a, te a teeny tiny bit geriatric. Uh, just a wee bit. Just a wee bit long in the tooth there. And Austin Peterson, who was like 37 years old. Uh, I'm not saying he would have won. I'm not saying he would have even come close. I'm not saying he would have won a state. What I am saying is that he might have gotten more than 5% nationally, meaning the Libertarian Party would then get $90 million towards their next campaign, which would help them immensely. Uh what they really need, what any independent party really needs right now, is to bring back my favorite guy, who is dead now, sadly, is Henry Ross Perot. May he rest in peace. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite people. I know. You wear his hat every single night. I know. Every single day on the podcast, I wear a Ross Perot hat in uh, honor of Ross Perot. Uh... It was actually interesting because he re he remained slightly uh, politically active. 
afterwards. In fact, he actually ch abandoned the political party that he created in the year 2000 because a political scammer known as, uh, what's his name? Roger Stone organized the collapse of the Reform Party. You know how. And this is actually interesting. He, basically, the Reform Party was starting to be, you know, they actually got more than 5%, okay? They got 18% and then they got 9%. So they were on the downtrend, but they still had the federal money, okay? And somebody else besides Ross Perot was going to run, okay? And so what they did, what Roger Stone did is he he blamed Roger Stone and a lot of other Republican operatives blamed Ross Perot, or Perot for the defeat of Bush Sr. and for the defeat of Bob Dole in 92 and 96, respectively. So they weren't going to let that happen in 2000. So they send... Uh, Roger Stone in to convince Donald Trump to run for the uh, the Reform Party nomination. Mm -hmm. Right after he convinced Pat Buchanan to run for the Reform Party nomination. So he's now created a contested Reform Party presidential primary. And the party just absolutely collapses. Because Donald Trump and Pat Buchanan absolutely hated each other. Even... <laughs> Even though, by the way, Donald Trump right now stole half of Pat Buchanan's platform. Uh, I'm, I'm legitimately not kidding you. Actually, more than that. Every, almost everything that Trump was elected on was stuff that Pat Buchanan talked about first. I never doubted you. And even weirder. And even weirder. Pat Buchanan had actual plans to get them done. <gasps> Whoa! Hold, hold on! Yeah, I'm not, You're I'm not... going a little far there. Yeah, yeah, he actually had plans to get them done. Now, the thing is, I think a lot of people liked the rhetoric of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. But I think that he didn't have a plan. You know what I mean? I think people around him had a plan. And the one person who I think really knew, whether it be for better or worse, but who, who knew how to implement the Trump plan mm. was Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was the guy who knew how to implement Trump's policies. Now, naturally, the powers that be had to get him out of their ASAP because the good things Trump wanted to do, because remember, there were a few good things that Trump wanted to do that he never got around to. Like one, actually, he did get around to this. It's ending NAFTA. That was a good thing. Uh, the other good thing he wanted to do is he wanted to do a massive infrastructure reinvestment. Naturally, they stopped that. They killed that dead. Uh, he wanted also to, and this is, this is not a joke. In 2016, when he was running for president, Remember what Trump said during the primaries, and he repeated this quite a few times. He said, everybody is going to have health care and the government is going to pay for it. It's so weird to me that he said that. Yeah, he did say that. And naturally, as soon as he became in the White House, they sent Jared Kushner and a bunch of other little munchkins in there to... Uh, munchkins. Yes, munchkins. Uh, munchkins and Mnuchins to obstruct that agenda because that agenda is, you know, objectively pro-American. And, you know, Bernie Sanders advocated for those same things. A lot of Democrats and Republicans advocate advocate or advocated for those same things. Infrastructure reinvestment, good health care for everybody, and ending NAFTA and closing the loopholes. And these were all things Trump said he was going to do. And they were all things that got pretty much thrown out uh, as soon as they threw out Steve Bannon. As soon as Jared Kushner and his gang of goons from uh, Bush 41's administration got back in, you know, they, you know, they worked their little magic and they, you know, did all sort of little political operations uh, and they got Trump to dismiss almost his entire original cabinet. Uh, 
which is why, you know, this is why I got a lot of respect for Ross Perot is because he didn't ever sell out to one of the political parties. He was his own man. He had his own politics and he ran with them. Uh, and the fact that he lost, yeah, I mean, so doesn't really matter because there are a lot of people who lost the presidential elections who have had an interesting or important impact, like Henry Clay, for example. And a lot of the stuff that Ross Perot talked about became standard bearer populism eventually, because Ross Perot was the first guy who said, and this was when, before NAFTA had even actually had an effect. He said that as a result of NAFTA, you will hear a giant sucking sound at the southern border where all of the jobs are going to go to Mexico. And everyone made fun I of like, I like the descriptor, a giant sucking sound. Yeah, that was, he actually, I think, I think he said that. I'm 99% sure he said that. Uh, yeah, giant sucking sound at the southern, southern border. Yes. By the way, I'd also like to note that giant sucking sound, because of Ross Perot saying that, has its own Wikipedia page. Which means See, that giant, giant sucking, sucking sound, sound has a Wikipedia page in normal English, and Jacob Hornberger does not. Oh, poor Jacob. Uh, and it says, yeah. Giant sucking sound was the United States presidential candidate Ross Perot's phrase for what he believed to be the negative effects of the North American Free Trade Agreement, which he opposed. Uh, and this is absolutely this is absolutely true, and I agree with everything he's about to say. Uh, we have I'm going to tr try to do a Ross Perot impression. Uh, oh man, he he had an interesting voice, you know. God bless him, but you know he was from Texarkana, and the way mm -hmm. SNL did his voice was hilarious. He didn't. Yeah. Necessarily talk like that, but yeah, I'm actually not even gonna try. I'll try to do a little bit. No, nope, I can't do it. Uh, we have got to <laughs> stop sending our jobs overseas. It's pretty simple. If you're paying 12, 13, 14 an hour, to, I'm gonna try to do it for factory workers who move your factory south of the border, pay a dollar an hour for labor. No, have no health care. That's the most expensive single element making a car. Have no environmental controls, no pollution controls, no retirement. You don't care about anything but making money. There will be a giant sucking sound going south. When Mexico's jobs come up from dollar an hour to six dollars an hour, and ours go down down to six dollars an hour, then it's leveled again. But in the meantime, you've wrecked the country with these kinds of deals. Uh, wow, this is actually interesting because this was two years before NAFTA went into effect, and it says Perot ultimately lost the election, and the winner, Bill Clinton, supported NAFTA, which went into effect in 1994. Uh Exactly. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened. Uh, and I'm reading a little bit more about it. People of other people have used it before. But the interesting thing is that Perot is entirely right about that. Entirely right about that. Uh, what's happened in the Midwest has just been absolutely tragic since NAFTA went into effect. And basically, I'm just saying Ross Perot should have been president. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I wanted is somebody to win an election eight years, nine years before I was born. Is that too much to ask? Uh, Maybe. Yeah, apparently it is. Uh, regardless, on to the second topic, the coronavirus. It's not really a whoop-whoop, but fine. Uh, Let me have this. Yeah, I know. She always tries to put a positive spin on everything. 
darn me and my optimism. Huh? Yeah, optimism. What is this? What is this? 2019? Out of here with that optimism. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, you did say you had some coronavirus news. Why, yes, I do. So, as you know, we live in Michigan. And um, uh, recently, Governor Whitmer has announced that quarantine will be extended until May 15th. Wah, wah, wah. Huh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I believe that it is for the best, but it's just frustrating. Also, there are people protesting in front of her mansion, and they're calling it Operation Queen's Castle. And you know what's not fair? They get to use all the good names for things for stupid stuff. Uh, Operation Queen's Castle. So they're actually protesting around the governor's mansion? Yes. Uh, now, here's the thing. I've actually never seen the Michigan governor mansion. Uh, Why I? Here's the real thing. I'm like, not. I've never seen it before. I'm about to Google it. But I'm 99% sure it's just a slightly bigger normal house. Here, I'm going to go uh, Google it too. Oh, wait. Plural. Apparently there's more than one. Ooh, okay. I'm seeing multiple. Yeah. That's unfair. <laughs> no, no, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. No, it's just like a normal house. I mean, it's a nice house. Oh, no. this the, I like how this, the Michigan governor gets like a typical South Michigan, like upper class South Michigan thing, is mm -hmm. that, they, that the governor of Michigan sits a house and then another house up north. Oh, boo. Yeah, don't you just love how southern Michigan Michigan is? Ugh. Huh, you're up, you're blood. up north. You don't even call you the, I'm up we don't north. Even call, we don't even call you the Upper Peninsula. We just say up north. We call you guys downstate. Really? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Because you're down. Yeah. I guess so, but you're up north. Imagine being up north. Imagine being up north for more than just a kayaking trip. Imagine being downstate for more than a trip. Yeah, a trip to do literally anything. Like go to a Chick-fil-A <laughs> or a Chipotle or a gas station. <laughs> we have gas stations. <laughs> See, I don't know if we have any 7-Elevens in the UP, though. You got one thing, though. You still got Kmarts, and I'm kind of jealous of that. Well, I mean, not necessarily. Like, we used to have one, but it shut down. I don't think we have any more. Do you still have a Blockbuster? No, we have a family video that sells CBD. Like, classy people. Wait, you have a family video that sells marijuana? It's CBD. Okay, what's the... I don't even know the... You have a, a, a family video that formerly so, sold videos and DVDs, I assume. Well, it still sells videos. And now it just also sells marijuana supplements. Yeah. You know, as you do. Well, I, I would like to be in that business meeting where they went, you know what? Are the video sales are falling. 
what do you think we should do? And some guy gets Joe's, why don't we sell marijuana extract? And they said yes. Everyone, yeah, that's great. Regardless, that gets off the main point, is people were protesting around Whitmer's house. Now, what were those people doing? Um, complaining, because that's the point of a protest. That is the point of a protest. But sometimes they're good complaints. Sometimes they're bad complaints. Uh, they're stupid complaints. Now, of course, everybody knows that a protest is only good if you agree with it. And if you disagree with it, it's bad, stupid, and unjustified. And that is how it works. That's pretty much how it works. Uh, you know, in that same vein, I would worry. I'm really kind of worried about our constitutional rights. Uh, because. Yeah. And let, let's be honest here. We all know this is unconstitutional. This is totally unconstitutional. Uh, but at that same time, I wish people would just be smart enough just to stay inside. Uh, people not being smart with their own actions are reasons is the reason that the government is overstepping. And it annoys me to the nth degree. Because if people, if everybody would just stay inside for a few weeks, the government wouldn't have made an order for everybody to stay inside. Now, what I'm afraid of is this is just going to keep getting extended on forever. Uh, a lot of people, even people that I know and people that I talk to, are concerned that the election will be postponed. Are concerned That can't happen. Is that this is the erosion and the final death of American democracy. Well, we're so young. Well, actually, no. We're like the we're the oldest democracy on earth. But as a country, we're so young. You know, I would actually dispute part of that because we are actually we are actually kind of an old country. Uh, the last. Oh yeah, compared to like France has been around since like the beginning of time. Ah ah yes, but when was France's current constitution enshrined? I don't know. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was less than 100 years ago. Oh, I think. It was 1958. That's when they got their well, current constitution. As a, as like a country with the branding of like America or like France, like we are young. However, we've remained the same for a very long time. And and uh, a country like Hungary. Hungary just got independent, really, in 1991. Yeah. And, and before that, they had just gotten independent in 1920 after being subjugated to the Austrians. We are a very old country. Think about how young Russia is. 1991, again. Yeah, because you said the Union. Yep. And the Soviet Union, when it became a world power and then fell very quickly, only existed from 1921 officially to 1991. That's 70 years. They burned I out. They burned out real quick. You could have been born legitimately at the beginning of the Soviet Union and still be alive when it fell. Heck, you could still be alive today. I'm sure there are some really old people who were alive for all of the Soviet Union. Uh Absolutely. You'd be 99 years old, so God bless you if you still are. But you could, it's not completely unrealistic. Uh, there are people alive today who are like 107. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that guy in Indonesia who's 143. Uh, what? Yeah, he's 143. He was born in 1870-something. That sounds made up. No, no. It was really weird because he's just kind of been sticking around. He's 
He's like, I started to prepare to die when I was in my mid seventies, and now, now I'm 143. Uh, All right, I'm on Wikipedia. List of the verified oldest people. No, this guy isn't verified. But one age 146. Well, then you can't verify if he's actually the, the BBC World News reported on it though. He claimed to be one hundred forty-six. Okay, so Indonesian birth records start at nineteen hundred, mm-hmm. and there have been mistakes before. Yeah, officials told the BBC that his papers were valid and based on documents he provided and interviews with them. He was talk, uh, taken to the hospital on 12th of April, and this was 2017. Uh, deteriorating health. Six days later, he insisted on checking out to return to home. Uh, and since he came back from the hospital, he ate spoonsfuls of porridge and drank very little. His grandson, Suyato, told him he, it only lasted a couple of days. From the moment, uh, from that moment onto his death, he refused to eat or drink. Uh-huh. That's actually really sad. Uh, but he was very, very, very old. Regardless if he's actually 146 or not. Uh, yeah, he was he was a definitely an old guy. I feel like at a certain point you have to lose track, right? Uh, I mean, not if he has. I mean, that that was based on his papers, though. Well, I mean, yeah, but like at a certain point, if you just don't have any papers, like say, no, I mean, regardless, was, like immortal and born like twelfth, regardless, twelfth century, you're gonna have to keep, like lose track. Regardless, even even if Indonesian birth records start at 1900, that would still leave him being 117 years old at his death, which is like. About the age of, like, the oldest person in the world. Yeah. So, oldest human dies in Indonesia, age 146. That's really interesting. Uh, I'm going to actually see this. List of oldest people. Let, let's see how that works. Uh, I'm looking at it. Uh, one of them still alive. Kane Tana- Tanaka. Uh, super centenarian who... Who is 117 years old. The oldest person ever was... Oh yeah, Jean Calment. I've heard of her. She lived to be 121. Wow. Incredible. One of them was Lucy... What's his name? You know, what's his name? He just... Are all of these women? I mean, on average, women do live longer than men. Yeah, by seven years, usually. Uh... Seven years, maybe all it takes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, men, the oldest man ever is 116 years old, and the oldest woman ever is 122. So that does, of course, remind me of a old story, and this is this is definitely off the topic. And you know, I, I coronavirus. You know, just to finish up the coronavirus topic before we go on another tangent, uh, the coronavirus topic. Uh, you know, just to wrap it up. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Don't go outside unless it's for necessary things. Uh, wear non-medical uh, improvised face masks. Just stay safe. Do all that stuff and you'll you'll be fine. Because we at the Daily Diatribe care about your health and safety. We do. And as I said last night, I think reporting on the big numbers makes them impersonal. So just, mm-hmm. you know, Google the story of a specific family and that'll make you feel more than it will seem. You're seeing numbers pile up on a screen. Uh, now, anyway, back to the oldest people in the world. Uh, Sarah, yeah, chronological list of oldest people, living person since ni- 1959. And 
A lot of people apparently live to be like 117. Wow, that's just like like the golden age of like old person. Uh, oldest living man. Uh, now I don't know. Now he, this is a guy who died recently. Uh, and his name was, he was from America. I forget. Richard, I think it was Richard. Uh, Overton. Okay, he's not on the list, but he lived to be. How old did he live? But he lived to be 112 years old, okay? I don't know why he's not on the list. But uh, I always thought this was interesting because he was so old, by the way. He was so old that he uh, fought in... So he was... I'm trying to think about how old he would have been during the Second World War. So 1941. He would have been 30-something. So past the age that he needed to enlist. You know, he got a lot of he got a lot of uh, awards. You know, it became like a big event to celebrate his birthday. Uh, happy 111th birthday! And the best part is, he drank and smoked every single day. Here for a good time and a long time. I mean, exactly. He smoked it. You know, he smoked a big cigar every day. He'd sit on his front porch, smoking a cigar with a thing of you know brandy in his hand, a big ice cube in it. He just drink and smoke and drink and smoke. And he lives to be 112. Hear that, kids? Smoke. It'll don't, make you live longer. Don't don't smoke. But uh, you know, he got all the you know he got a, quite a bit uh, medals. You know, Army Meritorious Unit uh, Commendation, Expert Rifle, Marksmanship Badge. Uh and so he actually never got a college degree. Uh, except he sort of did. He his Overton lived in Texas on December 11, 2014. Austin Community College recognized Overton with an honorary associate's degree, the college's highest distinction. He was a Protestant and attended church regularly. You hear that, kids? Attend church regularly. Uh, and then smoke cigars. Weirdly enough, people tried to take his... Uh, he was a victim of identity theft. Uh, but uh, I don't think it really worked for the person who's trying to ruin his life because he started a GoFundMe page and it raised over four hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. And then, on top of that, Bank of America restored the funds to his account. So he had a. So it all worked out in the end. It was net positive. Sadly, that was the year that he died, though. Oh. Only a few months later, but you know he was, you know, quite an interesting guy. Uh, really cool guy. He was, you know, he wasn't like ba- He wasn't like wheelchair bound or anything yeah so he could still walk like in good health as much as you can be for someone like at his age you know absolutely absolutely and you know he was just a an all-around kind of cool guy uh president obama recognized him with some a medal you know he it was just quite you know it was impressive it was he's in a very it was a very impressive figure and if you look google a picture of him he doesn't look 112 what's the name Richard Overton. He does not look 112. No, he looks like 80-something. Yeah, he looks like my mamma's age, and she's 90. Yeah, I mean, he does not look... Especially in the, especially in the picture where he's holding the... He's just shining a gun with a, a cigar in his mouth. Uh... Holding a gun with a cigar in his mouth. It's 
the free beacon made him the man of the year, which thank you, Washington free beacon. Uh, yeah, 2018 man of the year, Richard Overton, uh, 19, 1906 to 2018. So really impressive lifespan right there. Uh, all around impressive guy, World War II veteran. Uh, you know, local celebrity I know in his in Austin. Uh, and he was, you know, was buried with full honors and all that. Uh, and I think they, it appears they renamed a street after him. That's nice. That is really nice. I like that. Uh, so I, oh, and apparently, according to Newsday, this was his advice for a long life. Just keep living. You know, I would say that that necessarily isn't helpful. I was going to say that necessarily isn't helpful advice, but apparently it is. I mean, 112. You know, if I were, if I ever lived to be super old, I would just make up like a reason why I lived to be so old that that is not true. Like I would tell people that I ate a pine cone every day. He woke up at, apparently, I don't know. Yeah, he, the oldest man living in America, uh, let's see. Gosh darn, the news the news website wants me to pay. He wakes up at 5.25 a, a.m. in the morning. Ugh. Uh, Don't want to do that. He weighs, apparently he weighed 125 pounds. His blood pressure was pretty good. It keeps reloading. And it makes, keeps making me want to pay for this. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what does this say? He says a smile. Yeah, he, he always smokes in a, he always smokes a cigar. Uh, maybe that's the secret, everybody. Smoke every one cigar every. No, not really. Uh, don't, that's what I've been saying. Yeah, don't, don't smoke. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Richard Overton ended up becoming the second topic. I'm sorry for everyone who wanted to hear more about the coronavirus, but I don't really think there were that many of you because the coronavirus. I think we're all getting a little sick of it. That was a bad pun. That was a bad choice oh! of words right there. Uh, sorry. Yeah, we will be right back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I've been expelled from the podcast. Yep. Oh, oh, good. We got we we now have twenty subscribers. Yay! And they're gone. No, not really. Please, <laughs> we, we don't mean to scare you away. Uh, Please but, come back. No, they didn't. They didn't actually leave. Don't worry. Uh, but regardless, you know, on to the last topic, which of course, until the end of the battle will be Berlin 1945. I know it's not happy, uh, but we always got to go to the battle in Berlin. Uh, so today was the day after Hermann Goering sent his treasonable telegram uh, that he wanted to, you know, c- continue the fight uh, against the allies and against the Soviet Union. And so I'm now looking for this. So 24th. Yeah. Oh, meanwhile, the 24th, by the 24th of April, 1945, elements of the first Belarusian front, the first Ukrainian front had completely encircled the city. Within the next day, April 25, the Soviet investment on Berlin was consolidated with leading Soviet units probing and penetrating the S-Bahn defensive ring. So that was one of the rings that poor uh, Weitling set up. Remember the guy who I mentioned before, Helmut Weitling, the guy who was supposed to get executed. Uh, and then he went to the Fuhrer bunker and they promoted him and he said, I'd rather have been shot. Uh, and he was the first oh, guy. The, the only reason I say poor Helmut Weidling is because 
he was the one with the gall right after Hitler killed himself to say that, you know, Hitler betrayed you, the German people. So like, I got a little bit of respect for him just for saying that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, within the next, yeah, the city could not do anything but temporary delay the capture by the Soviets since the decisive stage of the battle had already been fought and lost by the Germans outside the city. By that time, Schroner's offensive, uh, initially successful, had been mostly thwarted. Uh, it actually is interesting is that uh, the, what am I trying to say? The, basically what Hitler did is he ordered, this is the time when he ordered uh, Army Group Steiner, which didn't really exist, okay? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I remember yesterday uh, I explained that nobody would ever take one of the pieces off the map. Mm-hmm. After the division was destroyed, and so he was just he was moving around divisions that only existed on his map. Uh, and so this is it actually says this in the uh, Wikipedia page. It says Army Detachment Steiner, Army Detachment Steiner, or uh, Army Beteiligung Steiner was a temporary military unit, something more than a corps but less than an army, created on paper by German dictator Adolf Hitler on the twenty first of April, nineteen forty five, during the Battle of Berlin and placed under the command of SS Obergruppenführer Felix Steiner. Uh, and so what did he order to do with this army group that only exists on paper? He hoped that the units Stein, attained, assigned to Steiner would counterattack against the northern pincer of the Soviet assault on Berlin in the event that Steiner's released forces. Uh, now Steiner was basically like, that is a suicide mission, and I'm not going to do that. And so he didn't, because that was a bad idea. Uh, you know, and this is actually interesting, is that uh, immediately after it was created, uh, it had already had some units stripped away from it. So it was just, it was just, everything was a disaster. Everything was just an absolute disaster. Uh, for this army group, or I don't even know what it was, but it basically considered of the 3rd Panzer Corps, the 4th Polizei Division, so that's, those are policemen, the 5th Jaeger Division, and the 25th Panzer Grenadier Division. Uh, and this is important because it says, Hitler's rage at Steiner's failure to mount an attack was made famous by its depiction in the 2004 movie Downfall, if you've ever seen this before. Uh, the 11th SS Panzer Army was a part of Army Group Vistula, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what they're talking about. Army, yeah, kind of the same thing. Uh, this was very strange, but it was just one of those things that the crazed dictator Adolf Hitler did in his in his dying days, in the dying days of the Third Reich. Uh, you also have, so this is on the same day, 24th, so I'm going to try to keep it on day-centered. The Berlin S-Bahn ring, which I've already said, uh, is the S-Bahn, you can actually still see the S-Bahn because it's a rapid transit railway system around Berlin today, by the way. Uh, so anyone in Berlin. Uh, by the Tilo Canal by the 24th of April. So they'd lost that canal uh, during this same period. And so I'm actually going to see the Tetlow Canal. So the Tetlow Canal is in Berlin. So I'm actually going to look at the map right now, okay? So at this point, they were not that far away from the Reichstag. So I'm actually going to take a look at it. So if we look at where the uh, Hitler's bunker on uh, Berlin, okay? 
and we will take a look at that, you know, just on a map. Uh, map. It is... I'm looking for it. Why are there no good maps anymore? Uh, this map's just blurry. I'm going to try to look at it, though. No, nope, and it leads me to a different thing. So, it says these maps of central Berlin locate the Fuhrer bunker in red on the map. Uh, so it was part of the Morgan Post. So, the old behind the old Reich's Chancellery. So, it's in the Reich's Chancellery. So, looking at it, they could not have been that far away from the bunker by already by today. Uh, so, if we actually look at that, so I'm going to take a, I'm going to try to look and see how physically far away these Soviet armies were, because they could not have been super far away. Uh, so looking at it, they were, da -da -da, I'm looking at a map, and the map disappears as always. Basically what I'm going to say is they could not have been more than 10 miles away from where Hitler sat, and at least they might have been a matter of a few thousand meters, I'm thinking. Uh, because, you know, you look at the S-Bahn ring and the north side of the Tetlow Canal, so the Tetlow Canal is, and so if we look at in a map of Brandenburg, the Tetlow Canal is right, oh, it's actually good. The Tetlow Rail Station is two kilometers east of the railway station, and it is 17 miles away from Potsdam. So it's really, really, you know, kind of centered there. It is in Berlin's southeast suburbs, and, you know, I'm just going to look about how, how far away it is. How far is away from Tetlow? to Tetlau to, uh, let's just go, the Reichstag. Thank you, map. Tetlau to Reichstag, travel time. Stuart, how long? So apparently it won't tell me because the Reichstag doesn't exist anymore. Oops. It's called the Bundstag now. Uh, Tetlau to, it's not going to tell me, gosh darn. Uh, I'm just going to need a flat out map of Berlin now because, because this is being completely uncooperative. No one ever wants me to know where anything is on a map. Okay, so now I'm looking at it now. So if we look at Tetlau uh, and we look at uh, the Tiergarten and the Brandenburg Gate, so we're looking at the Okay, like two miles. They were like two miles away from Hitler's bunker is what I've gathered from the map so far. Uh, and so you have, you know, 40,000 civilians, a lot of children, a lot of women, a lot of old men kind of thrown into the breach here. And so that's depressing. But as I always said, I'm talking about this so much now on the anniversary of the history, not just because I care about the history, which I do, but also be to remind everybody that as bad as things are now, they will not be as bad as it was in Berlin in 1945. Uh, unless, of course, you are somebody who has lost somebody or somebody who is, you know, is in that situation, and that's different. But for the vast majority of us who are just cooped up in our houses with nothing to do but you know, watch videos on the Internet, eh, I don't want to hear any complaining from you. I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, and I know that sounds like – I know that doesn't sound very nice of me. However – you know, also during this time, on top of thinking about history, think about the people who have actually lost people. Because I, I know people who have, you know, lost people in this. And, you know, it's very tragic. It's very tragic, absolutely. And so if you're just sitting at home and have nothing to do, I would consider myself pretty lucky if I were you. So just remember that. Uh, 
anything to try to sugarcoat this. Um. Da, we can, da, da, da. We can um, uh, I'm thinking, uh, with a new um order, we can go to buy paint and potted plants now. All right, guys, if you're if you're one of those druggies who likes huffing paint, you can now <laughs> huff paint again. You always ruin these for me. Uh, I. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just automatic. Yep, the governor's ordered benefits paint huffers. Just as I suspected. Uh, no, not paint really. huffers alone. Not really, but uh... Really, you can buy paint now? I mean, what that else were you going to That was do? deemed essential? Yes. I don't even know anything anymore. But regardless, enjoy some more Hank Williams as we leave you tonight. Uh, remember to like and subscribe to the Daily Diatribe, and we will be back tomorrow with an all-new, brand-new, vintage, and those things contradicted each other, episode of the Daily Diatribe. So remember to like, subscribe, and annoyingly share with your friends, and definitely, as I said before, please, please subscribe. And turn on the little bell icon so you can get annoying notifications whenever we go live. But we will always be here at 9 p.m., so just remember that. Thank you. God bless you. God bless America. God help the sufferers of the coronavirus and bless their families. So enjoy some more Hank Williams. See you tomorrow. Now you're looking at a man that's getting kind of mad. I had a lot to look, but it's all been bad. No matter how struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. My fishing pole's broke, the creek is full of sand. My woman run away with another man. No matter how struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. My distant uncle passed away and left me quite a batch. And I was living high until the fatal all your food I wasn't born, I was only hatched Everything's against me and it's got me down If I jumped in the river, I would probably drown No matter how struggle and strive I'll ever get out of this world alive